0: Hey.
1: hey Amen.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh as far as filling up the time. I mean, I feel like Q&A goes fast. Like 20 minutes of Q&A is honestly like three questions.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so for the for this after the break, we had scheduled this time 30 minutes of Q&A, mm-hmm. and then 40 minutes of the community reflection. Yeah. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just,
0: yeah, I mean, again, I, we're not, we're not set up for what he originally envisioned anyway. Right. Which is like breakouts. Yeah. So I think it's okay. Especially we could let Erwin know that, you know, we are going to follow up through our small groups too. Yeah. So, and I don't think there won't be no complaint if we end early. Right,
1: right. <laughs> oh.
2: <sighs>
0: Maybe we can mention at the end, we will follow up through our small groups to give yeah. you an opportunity to interact with each other on this. Yeah. I think that would be good to close with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> oh. Tried to get a Bon Mi sandwich for lunch <laughs> and it was like I tried calling like four times and nobody would answer. And then I walked over there and it was just an absolute madhouse. What do you mean? There was just like it packed. It was packed. And there was like a line of people waiting outside.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: I didn't realize that Saturday afternoon at like one o'clock was like a crazy time for Fuwa, uh, Bon Me Party.
3: Mm. I walked by there right around then too, because I go to a corner store at 47th and Chester. It's like five dollars for like a massive Italian hoagie, <laughs> so I I always I passed by. It, it didn't look too
1: bad, but maybe you just went a, at a rough time. Yeah, I ended up just getting a chicken burrito from Loco Pez. Yeah. Which Isn't my favorite, but I can't eat Lee's... It's so heavy man. It's heavy. It's heavy. I think so heavy. they
0: lather the bread in grease. Yeah. It's like glistening.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of bread too it seems like.
3: <laughs> it's just they, their flavor their their priority is flavor and w- yeah, at all costs. <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> at all at all costs.
0: I think they butter the bread like outside.
3: Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. The bread is glistening
1: when you when you It's
0: glistening. It's weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, i do like that loco pez gives you some chips it's nice yeah i do wish it was a little more authentic
0: feeling yeah yeah
3: even the dollar tacos it's like okay like even at right. that price point <laughs> <laughs> just saying something but, yeah. yeah
2: oh
0: Yeah, Justin, I think maybe um, during the Q&A, it would be good to, maybe you could, I don't know any RCFers are tuning in, but maybe something specific to RCF, especially because it's so heavily, just, just the idea that the, ob- the obvious natural affinity when you come on campus is finding people ethnically like you. That's the most comfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. So... For many students, that's what RCF is, Mm -hmm. right? And it's like fighting an uphill battle because they come for that reason. And what do we do to, you know, any thoughts on on challenging them, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm.
0: something like that, I don't
1: know. Right. Right. Age,
3: something like the biblical foundation of community in general is just so important just because it, you know just of just that age in general but yeah you're right i guess even more specifically to rcf and just kind of the tendencies that that have been there for years i could try to speak to that yeah
0: i think because in rcf you're dealing with i actually think that's the hardest pocket of our church to diversify because campus is right. where people fragment and mm-hmm. just need to find a niche hmm so, versus once you start working, you're interacting with coworkers, you, you you're forced, whether you like it or not, you get way right. more cross-cultural interaction than you have to in college. You don't have to have any in college if you don't want to.
3: Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, I'll keep a, I'll try to be mindful of asking a good question that will serve that, I guess. Yeah, so, I mean, and... I
0: think if we ask questions <clears throat> like that, it'll it'll probably preempt some of what our members concerns are of like, how can we get here? Mm-hmm. If, you know, like I hear a lobby full of co- college kids speaking Korean to each other, like, how, right, <laughs> how right, are we right. supposed to get here? You know, and <laughs> others are thinking that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I think that question on what do you say to someone about the pace, frustrated by the pace, it's a good question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested to see how many people tune in this afternoon. It's definitely less sign-ups. It's like
0: what was it, 70 signed up?
1: Yeah, I'll see if we ended up getting any more here. Mm, uh, 84. All right.
0: We were only what like 10 shy of the projected sign-ups last night?
1: Yeah, if you especially if you count all our panelists. Right. Mm. So And I
3: wonder if some people signed up individually, but then watched it just with their spouse on one account, you know? For
0: sure. Uh, I think, I think perhaps almost half of those were couples. Yeah. Like our household, Paula was watching, Um, you know, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Share the same account. Jason and Chrissy were on together. Han and Megan were on together. There's a bunch. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I got tested again on Thursday, and it just came back negative, so... I just figured I'd do one post camping trip, just in just to be safe.
1: But yeah,
0: yeah, I might
3: get one. Uh, where? Uh, no, never mind.
1: <clears throat> yeah, we might not have time to pray with Irwin if he doesn't get on here for a few more minutes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I was just gonna say, I don't know where he is. Should we just, well, let's give two minutes. I I just hope we get enough panelists. I mean, in the end, I guess it's not the worst thing if it's just the staff posing questions, yeah.
3: If you unspotlight his video, will the audience see all the panelists, even if we're muted?
1: No, what it does is it flips uh, Mm. between who's talking. I I see. If somebody's not spotlighted.
2: Good
0: afternoon. Good
1: afternoon.
2: Okay.
0: All right. So, Erwin, um, we just want to let you know that um, just because of the format, I don't think we're going to be able to do like breakout. Well, we can't just uh, yeah,
2: yeah. No, a I, webinar. I knew, I knew that. No, I knew. That. OK,
0: yeah. so what, what we're going to do is we are going to obviously do the straightforward q and I think the panelists and the staff will be asking some uh, pointed questions um, mm-hmm. in terms of application to our own congregation. But mm-hmm. outside of that, our plan is to engage through our community groups um, okay. after this weekend. So that will be the okay. context through which they can cool. you know, talk amongst themselves, I suppose. Great, great, yeah. great, great. Okay. I mean, right.
2: and just, you know, at the end of my presentation time for this first hour, you know, I, I'm going to pose some questions for them to be reflecting on just as it relates to culture. I'm going to kind of have the image of a cultural iceberg as a culture and just talk about mm. some of the things that are below the surface of the water, mm. the unspoken ways and rules and things that we you know, and, and pose the kind of question saying, okay, well, what's Renewal's iceberg, right? What, Yeah. You, as you think about what we ought to do, you have to identify, like, who are we? Right? Yeah. What are the things that we hold, the values that are cultural preferences and the like? So anyway, just to let you know, that's, that's kind good. of where I'll end.
0: That's good. And I think that's something that the leadership can interact with you on, um, you know, immediately afterwards. So... All right. How about, I think because of time, we, we should pray. So, uh, um, Ryan, you want to just pray for Irwin? Yeah. And, uh, time? Uh,
1: Lord, we do thank you for this afternoon. Uh, I pray for our brother, Pastor Irwin. I pray that you would give him uh, words to say and lead him and guide him by your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, all of us who are listening and learning that we would have opening ears and open hearts uh, to receive what it is that you have for us this afternoon. Uh, we lift all these things up to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kept it short because uh, we got uh, <laughs> a couple minutes here. So uh, right. I'll ask uh, everybody to mute and uh, Pastor Dwight's going to introduce you in a couple minutes, Erwin, and then I'll, I'll pop you up after Pastor Dwight does.
0: All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Glad you could join us on this second day of our conference. Uh, Each year we alternate between our Global Missions Conference and a City Missions Conference. We alternate back and forth between those two. Um, And and the the thought behind this is, uh, we wanna uphold the value and importance of local and global mission as a church. Uh, I've shared this quote uh, with our church Um, On occasion, and it's from a former president of Talbot Seminary, Walt Russell. He said, the gospel, then, is not something that exists solely for our progress and personal fulfillment, though it does include these things. Rather, the gospel is something to which we are to give ourselves for its progress and fulfillment. That is certainly our desire, uh, our heart as a church, to be a church that doesn't simply exist for ourselves um, and our own sake, but for the advancement of the gospel and all the implications of the gospel. In other words, for the good and flourishing of the city in every dimension um, unto the glory of Christ. So uh, that being our heart, our vision, this is why, uh, again, we have a city conference every other year to continue to uphold that value and that we might continue to learn what it looks like and how to be such a church. So for our conference this year, we are so privileged uh, to have Reverend Dr. Erwin Entz with us. He is an ordained minister in our denomination, the PCA. Uh, He serves on the pastoral staff down at Grace D.C., a church in the Washington, D.C. area, a network of churches there, uh, who I know several of the staff there, just a wonderful church doing wonderful things. And he also serves as the uh, executive director of the Institute of Cross-Cultural Mission. So uh, just to familiarize uh, yourself with who they are, ICCM uh, seeks to exist organizations and leaders who have embraced a biblical vision for diversity by identifying the ways in which people are shepherded toward healthy cross-cultural living and ministry. This includes discipleship through teaching, training and mentoring and researching matters pertaining to justice and reconciliation ministries. Um, so that's how he serves the Lord in those capacities. So again, we are so privileged to have him. We really wish we could have had him in person, but such as 2020, Um, and perhaps we can have him in the future. But for now, let's welcome him virtually as he he shares with us again.
2: Thank you, uh, Pastor Dwight. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Good afternoon, (laughs) everyone. It's good to be back with you. And uh, for this uh, second part of our time together this weekend, we've been talking about beautiful community and and last night, we focused our first um, uh, part on this reality uh, that God is beautiful community. Uh, he is the epitome of what it means to be unity and diversity, diversity in unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that has um, the most profound implications for humanity in as those who are created in his image that we are designed for and destined for beautiful community, unity in diversity, and that the church is to be um, a place where that kind of community is already experienced and uh, put forth for the world to see uh, as a testimony uh, to who Jesus is. And so th- today we want to talk uh, about cultivating beautiful, beautiful community, about practices, about things we ought to do and hold to. And let me just tell you at the outset, we're going to have a lot of time for, for Q&A. Um, but, but ultimately, this is, this is the work that Renewal Presbyterian Church has to do say what does it look like for us in our context to be about this pursuit um, there aren't any cookie cutter answers it, the, the answers are always contextual who are we where are we what is it who are our neighbors and those kinds of things so let me share my screen again and uh, we'll go through this um, this last section cultivating uh, beautiful community and you know I, I said it's uh, I said it is uh, it's contextual right uh, and that's because and that's and that's always been the case for the church the cultivation of beautiful community the pursuit of love in Jesus name of our diverse neighbors right so like through the history of the church, every church in every particular place and time has had to learn to live out the faith in a way that, one, makes sense to not just its congregants, but to its neighbors, and also challenges it at the deepest level. right? Um, and so, and so this, is, this has been something that the church has, been, has had to press into from day one. And so I want to talk about four facets uh, of cultivating beautiful community. And I say four facets, just like I talked about the facets of beauty, perfection, proportion, and pleasure, because I'm not saying these are four steps you follow in order. (laughs) What does it look like to be cultivating beautiful community? Right, I codify these things. I codify it into these four perspectives and facets that we have to be engaged in um, on somewhat of a continual basis. One, I say, devoting to the doctrine, and what I mean by that, particularly, is a a commitment to the pursuit of unity and diversity, love across lines of difference in Jesus' name, and reconciliation as fundamental to faithful gospel living, faithful Christian life and witness. That it's not an add-on if we'd like to have it. And, and I emphasize this because we have to be reminded of it again and again and again. I think I got a question last night about you know uh kind of persevering and people who want diversity but are not rooting it in the biblical foundation and truth um we will we have to be reminded over and over and over again right of what god's word says about these things recommitting ourselves hearing from the lord on these things over and over. we don't grow past Needing to um, be rooting ourselves deeper in this truth according to what God's word says, right? So, a, a facet of it is this devoting to, to this as a, as a fundamental aspect of what it means to live the Christian life, right? And, and then, secondly, another facet is probing our preferences. And that means um, there is no non cultural way of doing the Christian life. So, and the Bible doesn't give us every I dot and T cross for every single solitary way we ought to do things in practice, And so we have freedom within what the scripture says, and we do things according to certain cultural norms, cultural preferences that are not of themselves necessarily sinful, but we need to be willing to ask, oh, okay, well, What what are the things that we do? And why do we do them the way that we do them? And what might these things be communicating to people who are not like the majority among us that may be preventing people from a different background from finding a sense of true hospitality and welcome and belonging among us? Uh, And that's why the third facet is counting the cost, because we, we uh, and I mentioned this last night, right? We, as a body, we don't exist solely for ourselves. Right? And so what of these preferences might the Lord have us potentially die to, modify, for the sake of expressing a more robust love and embrace of our neighbors who are different? What do we have to maybe give up or maybe hold more loosely in this? Again, I'm not talking about fidelity to God's word, right? I'm talking about practices that come out of cultural preferences. And then the fourth thing I say is toasting to the truth, because all of this sounds really hard, especially probing our preferences, counting the cost. Um, but toasting to the truth, I'm, I'm Mark. I, I'm bringing a sense of celebration and joy. That this is a this is a this is a, a joyful pursuit, right? This is something um, we should be delighted to be engaged in. And when we see the Lord at work, changing our hearts, growing us up, even before he makes any substantive change in our uh, congregation, let's say, in terms of our demographics, if if we're pursuing that, that we celebrate, that we praise the Lord for it. That we express a sense of deep gratitude to the Lord, um, right? And so, and so now, uh, for the rest of this time in the, in these slides, I'm not calling these things out in order specifically, but I laid these out first because they they all come into play in what I'm going to say um, in this remaining time. So devote to the doctrine, probe by preference, count the costs toast to the truth. And here's the the reality. I'm reinforcing this. I did this yesterday about cultivating beautiful community. This is the Spirit's work. (laughs) This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is preeminently concerned with renewing us in knowledge according to the image of our Creator. We're going to look at one of these passages that I'm listing here. Um, but, uh, but I'm emphasizing, re-emphasizing the same point that I made last night, that this is not about manufacturing some kind of diversity for diversity's sake, right? It is striving to be in step with the spirit, right? Um, and, and the kind of work that the spirit wants to do in us in terms of cultivating this beautiful community, this unity in diversity. I want to take this passage, for example, right? Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all 17 verses. Um, but um, this is, I, I started yesterday with Colossians chapter 1. right? Um, and Paul talking about how um, that through Christ, God was reconciling all things to himself. Things in heaven and things on earth, making peace by the blood of the, his cross. And he says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, deed, he is now reconciled together in his body of flesh. Right? He, as he normally does in his letters, Paul lays out what we call the indicative, right? The things that are true. The things that are about Jesus, about God, about humanity, about the gospel. And then he shifts to more emphasis on the imperative. What do we do with that, given that these things are true? And we get that here in chapter three of the letter, where he says, Since you've been raised with Christ, Colossians, I want you to be heavenly minded. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth right? Because what Christ is seated at the right hand of God, right? You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, right? So he's about to get practical. (laughs) What does this cultivating look like? He says, all right, here you go. Put to death what's earthly in you. What does heavenly mindedness look like? It does not look like, you know, um, waiting for my wings to be, you know, Sitting on the cloud, plucking a harp somewhere. He right? said, No, here's what it looks like on the ground. Put to the death, therefore, what's earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Right? You got to put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Right? Don't lie to one another, seeing as you've put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He says, this is true of you, right? He's telling them you got to put all this stuff away, right? But you've already, he says, you've put off the old self and you've put on the new self. This new self is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here's the point. This This is practice in community all of these things that he's talking about them doing, putting, you know, um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He's not saying don't, you know, obscene talk, talking to yourself, right? He's talking about in your relationship with others. What does the practices look like, right? What does it look like in your diverse community, right, to be cultivating unity and diversity? He says, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So put these things on. Right? Here's a, and this is a radical statement he's making. What do I mean? Verse 11, he said, Here's the, here there isn't Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all right and he says you this diverse community greek and jew people who are enslaved people who are free people in the church you are the elect you are god's chosen ones that 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 label which belonged only to the people of israel paul says you're the elect You're God's chosen ones, holy and loved. So here are your practices. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you you hear some of those facets of cultivating beautiful community, right? Devoting to the doctrine, you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Probing the preferences. Right, These things he's talking about, Right, they, they only occur when there's strife and when there's conflict. Right? Why, do I have to, why do we have to forgive one another? <laughs> right? Only when there's, there's, there are issues. Well, what causes these issues? Very often, it's because we've got all of these background, people from different backgrounds coming together right? And that causes conflict. So it's a disposition of the heart, right? For compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, patience, forgiving, and then the toasting to the Three times he says in those last three verses, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, right? In the midst of all of the strife, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, right? So, Couple of slides here. Points I want to make about the spirit. This is these quotes have come from um, Steve Guthrie, who I've mentioned previously in his book Creator Spirit: The Holy Spirit and the Art of Becoming Human. He says one may think of the spirit much more personally and creatively as an artist whose one subject is the sun, and who is concerned to paint countless portraits of that subject on countless human canvases using the paints and brushes provided by countless human cultures and historical situations. It is Jesus, the incarnate son of the father and no other that the spirit speaks to portray. Each portrait is successful and creative, not because it makes of him what he's not by forming him in our likeness and conforming him to our preferences and predilections, but because it uses ever new cultural approaches and historical situations, to bring out more of the infinite variety of saving truth that is in him. And so the spirit is not an automated die press punching out stacks of Jesus copies one after another. The spirit's perfecting work is creative and sensitive to the character of the material before him. Those filled by the spirit. Are one body of Christ renewed in his image, yet varieties of services and diverse gifts are given by one and the same Spirit, who allows to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. The work of the Spirit is both particularizing or diversifying and unifying. The distinctiveness of each member does not destroy the unity of the body, the unity of the body does not annul the distinctiveness of each member. Again, I Mentioned this yesterday. A new creation will be beautiful because there will be right relationship between and harmony between God and humanity, among humanity, and among all that God has made. Each thing will be most truly what it is, and what's more, and amazing, the utterly distinct character of each being will contribute to the beauty of the whole. Now look, here's the deal. Here's a, here's part of our challenge. Here's, What we, part of what we have to grasp in um, uh, in, um, pursuing and cultivating beautiful community. I said we have preferences, right, that are culturally um, determined, right? And if you think about culture like an iceberg, Right. If you envision an iceberg, right, there's stuff that's above the surface of the water. When it comes to culture, right, the stuff above the surface of the water are the things that we experience with our five senses, right? things like food and festivals, holidays, manners of, uh, of dress, language, games, um, um, sports all these kinds of things, right? And, and when we engage different um, difference that's above the surface of the water, cultural difference that's above the surface of the water, it might give us pause from time to time. It might be curiosity from time to time. But there's a relatively low emotional load to engaging those differences, right? You know, um, and there might be some celebration. You know, when, a year ago, Pastor Dwight and several of uh, my my Korean uh, uh, clergy brothers in the PCA came down to DC, right? And I got a little bit of immersion. I was the only Black guy in the room. Got a little bit of immersion, you know, as they were able to talk cultural, culturally things. Like- I was like, what are you, t- what kind of food? What's that? You know, right? It was relatively low emotional load. Right to engage across that line of difference, but, um, but but just like it is with an iceberg, most of a culture exists below the surface of the water and is unseen and very often unspoken. Right, things like courtesy. Right, uh, concepts of time, ideas around your personal space, rules of conduct. Facial expressions, what do they mean? Nonverbal communication, body language, eye contact, how do we handle emotions? What's our concepts of, of modesty and courtship and, and leadership? right? And these unspoken rules that are below the surface of the water, um, they carry. A higher emotional load when we're interacting with them. Because we don't like we don't know them and they're not given to us, <laughs> you know. Just right. And so there's a there's an, a higher tax on us emotively when we're engaging in those kinds of differences. And then there are those differences that are that are that are unconscious rules deep below the sea C- level, right? Um That that are things that you might even, if you're embedded in a culture, might not even be able to express that this is a rule that we have, right? And when you get when you get deep below the surface of a culture, and you can think stuff sometimes stuff like parenting styles can be deep below the surface (laughs) of the water, right? you know, when you interact with those, right, there is an intensity of emotional load. Now, part of the reason I'm bringing this up, right, uh, we'll get to get to a little bit more later, but part of the reason uh, I, I'm, I'm bringing this up is that we have to be aware of these things. We have to be aware, renewal, Presbyterian Church, you have to be aware of the fact that you have an iceberg. As a church, members of the church, you have to, whatever your ethnic cultural background, you have to be aware of the fact that culturally speaking, whatever cultural context you would come out of, you have an iceberg. And that forms, that influences the way you think about what is good and true and beautiful. And you have to be aware of it. All right? So, Let me, uh, so for example, let me pull up a few things that you sometimes find in church, right? And saying, you know, are these, are these things, you know, cultural preference or biblical faithfulness, right? You know, uh, you know, so when we meet for discipleship, you know, my friend is usually half an hour late. Is that a, matter of disrespecting me <laughs> right not honoring me <laughs> as they ought right in the church service the pianist or the organist should play music quietly during the pastor's prayer right? that biblical faithfulness is cultural preference during the service people nod but don't speak aloud to affirm the message of the sermon Right? Are we giving honor to the pastor? Not disturbing him? I give, I you know, just a, I'm in the PCA. Uh, I came out of a majority Black Baptist church context. And, uh, you know, I've learned, I've adjusted in the PCA. I've adjusted, you know, I've, you know, where where in, the church I came out of that context, I used to, you know, I the sermon is very often a dialogue, right? And um, and then I realized it took me a while to realize, like in PCA context, when I saw somebody like do a little head nod, like that that's the equivalent of somebody saying amen and and raising their hand. Like I had to start looking for the cues because that is a culturally different space. right. Church services can last an hour. People should wear their Sunday best to church. People regularly worship with their bodies, clapping, swaying, or dancing in practice. For men's activity in our church, the guys went to a shooting range and then had beer at somebody's house, right? Real wine should be served at communion. Most of the songs of my church are written by people of white European ethnicity. The sermons, illustrations, quote, uh, regularly cite people of, of other races, right? But these things are things you find in a variety of church contexts and settings, right? And all of them, in every case, people would say, We are desiring to follow the Lord and be faithful and honor the Lord, right? And yet, all of these things are expressions of cultural preferences that are not necessarily sinful of themselves, right? but yet we don't we don't necessarily think about these things in that way okay. so here's here's the 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 question questions for you so you don't have to answer these questions now but I'm putting them out there because as a part of cultivating beautiful community you've got to answer questions like this you got to think okay individually personally What's my iceberg? <laughs> what's what's my cultural background? I got to start identifying what are the things that, that are cultural preferences for me that are that are different uh, than others, and then what is our church's iceberg? Who who are we culturally? And and these these questions. These questions are not meant to be questions that um kind of uh put you on notice or make you defensive or anxious it's about developing an awareness a deeper awareness and not just presuming right that the things that you do that are culturally right conditioned or preference are should be the norms for everybody because you have, you have to ask you have to ask questions like right how are, how are we communicating to our neighbors that the way to really find a true sense of belonging here is to become just like us to assimilate in every way into our way of being <laughs> You gotta ask yourself those probative questions Um, if you're going to start to be serious about pursuing or cultivating beautiful community. Right? Because it's not just about, again, it's not simply about a manufactured or a superficial unity and diversity. Right? Uh, One more slide to talk through before stop I, I got this um, got this from um, a friend and brother and mentor um, uh, Reverend dr. Carl Ellis um, another African- American PCA pastor part of the OG African-American PCA pastors <laughs> uh, but uh, it's so useful particularly as we think about cultivating beautiful community. It's a framework for understanding what he calls comprehensive kingdom righteousness. Right, um, that that there are ways of grasping this, and we're very often out of balance. Right, so you can see, right, the uh, horizontally and vertically these squares, right, godliness and justice um, horizontally, horizontally personal and social vertically, where Personal godliness is, is, you know, live right, right? I'm gonna live right and follow the Lord. Personal justice is like I personally am gonna do right to my neighbor, right? I'm gonna do right for my neighbor. Social godliness is our collective godliness as a people, as the people of God at this church. That we together are pursuing godliness, and then corporate justice or social justice rather, right, is our care and concern for justice, not just individually, but how do we promote what is good and true and just um, for others? And and part of the point here is in even in evangelical culture. There is an overemphasis on personal godliness. Live right. Maybe some infinite emphasis on social, on personal justice. Do right, right? But, but half to three quarters gets truncated of, of kingdom righteousness. Right. So as we think about cultivating beautiful community, part of those questions are, OK, in our, in our space, in our neighborhood, where is are the, the arena for us to be expressing our concerns for social godliness? Godliness in the public square, where, are the, where is that hindered right, in our community? Where is that lacking in our community? How can we live as light corporately for social godliness <laughs> in the public square? And yes, social justice in the public square. Where where, where are our neighbors um, suffering from uh, a lack of justice, suffering from things that um, are denying their dignity (laughs) in the public square? And how do we express care and concern for those issues? as a matter of our practices in cultivating beautiful community. So here's the thing, just realize, I, I don't know that any one congregation is gonna be going gangbusters on the whole thing. right? But you have to have some awareness right, of these facets and be able to challenge yourself and say we're not right our our work as disciples of Jesus Christ are, are is not just about my personal piety. It yes is that, but it's much broader than that in terms of our kingdom righteousness because I don't have the other side of it, but there's a flip side, right? There's a, a comprehensive unrighteousness right? Like all of these things, right? Personal ungodliness, right? Personal injustice, social ungodliness, social injustice, right? right? The flip side is also true, right? And so as the people of God, our cultivation of beautiful community has to try to find inroads into all of these things, all right? So, all right, let me um, stop there and uh, we can transition to some, uh, some Q&A.
1: All right. Um, great. Thanks, Erwin. Appreciate that. And uh, we will take, uh, a, you know, some extended Q&A time here. Uh, then we'll take a short break and we'll come back and try to do some community reflection on some of that iceberg kind of stuff uh, for us at Renewal. Um, so, yeah. Um, Yeah, let's go ahead and um, open up uh, Q&A and um, I'll go ahead and get us started with a a question, Um, but feel free to to type in questions into the Q&A box. Um, And also again, those of you who are on as as panelists, feel free to to jump in as well. Um, So maybe I'll start with this. Um, So if you could say one thing to someone who's uh, frustrated, by maybe the, the pace of change? You know, they look at those four squares that you were just talking about and they, they're like, well, one of those areas we're just really weak at. Or uh, maybe uh, um, somebody who's frustrated at the slow pace of change around, maybe even particularly issues of justice and reconciliation and a beautiful community uh, in our society or in our church. What would you say to that person who's frustrated at the slow pace of change?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> one, I would say, you're not unique and you're not alone. Right? Um, there, there are always going to be. This is this is this is part of what it means to be a member of the body, right? Uh, of, a, of a like, everyone is not in the same place. At the same time, right, and in the same way, I typically respond to that first. I, you know, I, I I didn't. Earlier, I brought up Romans chapter fifteen in that slide where I showed scripture passages. I said this is the Spirit's work Um, when the Apostle Paul was dealing with conflict in the church, people who were kind of weaker in the faith, right. Um, who like, no, you like you shouldn't eat meat. You should only eat vegetables. No, you, k- you shouldn't drink wine. No, you should right? all of these things that they weren't as far along on uh, some issues as it relates to the faith. And Paul says to them, you know, don't don't for the sake of food destroy the one for whom Christ died. Right, that there's a sense in which my liberty in Christ is a liberty. Right. To be about the work of denying myself for the sake of building up my my brothers and sisters. So here's what I mean. He starts out chapter 15 after dealing with the conflict and saying We who are strong, stronger in the faith, have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us build his neighbor up for good, for even Christ didn't please himself. Right? But as it is written, the reproaches of those who approach you have fallen on me. Right? And so the, the application here is, is part, if you're frustrated with, I think, I'm very passionate about these things. I'm further along in believing that we should be pressing into them than than many people. Okay, what does it look like for, for me to be a part of building others up into this same understanding? What does it look like for me to be a part of being an advocate for this, expressing the patience, right? Colossians three. That's what started there. We talk about practices, right? Right. Put on then as God's chosen ones who are holy in love, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, right? Bearing with one another. Right. Um, what does it look like for me to to live into that? Right. Um, and be about the work. Of trying to build others up into it. Um, now, you know, I, I will say, on the, you know, in, as well with that, you know, if I am, if I'm just finding that I'm hitting a brick wall, <laughs> that like I'm not, that nobody has any care or concern, then that might be a different scenario, right? Um, but, uh, the, the primary thing I have to do is say, what does it look like for, for me to walk in humility in this, right? Right. To, to, to not, to, to not be, um, think more highly of myself than I ought, right? Um. It doesn't mean that I'm wrong, necessarily, but it does mean that before I go being overly critical, I got to do the heart examination. I got I to gotta say, am I in the right place here? What's my passion? What's my desire here? And what's driving it? Do I want to see us move along in this? Or is this just something that I'm um, uh, expressing a degree of of impatience here that doesn't honor the lord so that's some of what i would some of what i would say and, and because i've experienced it myself so there you go
0: i guess uh brother Irwin, my question would be um i, I think the iceberg analogy is so helpful and recognizing um, thoughtfully thinking about where our cultural preferences are, and and the fact that they do exist, as you said, there's no such thing as a non-cultural way of doing things. We we bring our culture into everything. I think um, part of, of the balance that sometimes is hard to strike, and I would say this even from our experience at Renewal, you know, having at once been a completely mono-ethnic. Korean American, explicitly Korean American ministry, that's our roots. Um, And coming uh, from that to broaden, um, I think learning to know what it looks like to to be a diverse and beautiful community, you know, there's there's challenges along the way. And I think one of those namely is where you talk about um, being aware of our preferences um, and then being willing to count the cost uh, sometimes I have to, you know, put aside things that might be more comfortable for me. Um, so I think in the early years, we got rid of like using any type of Korean language, obviously, try not to only eat out at Korean restaurants, you know, during fel- <laughs> after fellowship. And these are the kind of things we would talk to our members about. Um, but then I think the other extreme could be the trap we could fall into is suppressing our culture, denying it to the point where... Uh, which, which, as you stated, everything's cultural ultimately anyway, so it's kind of a fruitless endeavor, but, but, you know, even as we spoke to yesterday, there's a loss of dignity if I'm, like, denying who I am, but then it's hard because you don't want to um, hold that so tightly that others aren't, aren't able to feel welcome because they're mainly hearing your culture come out even more than, than Christ, per se, Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you get what I'm saying here, it's that seems to be a hard balance to strike, like, I want to, we got to affirm who we are and celebrate our culture, but not to the point where we are being ignorant of how um, others who are not part of the majority culture might feel. And so Mm -hmm. just any, any words, any advice, any wisdom that you could share on that tension, maybe even Mm -hmm. from your own experiences, I know being an African American in the uh, PCA is by virtue of being, you know, um, African American, you're a minority, and and so, um, yeah, just some thoughts there.
2: Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, I I think you're you're on to something. I mean, there's so when I talk about pro preferences, it is being kind of a for the the goal and desire of being other focused to ask to inquire and say what what may be hindering people from finding a true sense of welcome and belonging here. But again, right, when I talked about toasting to the truth, celebrating the beauty that is inherent in our cultural and ethnic identity. So part of the question is, are we willing to let people in I talk about God not just forming a new me, but a new we, right? that ethnically and culturally, are we putting up boundaries and barriers to say, yeah, you can approach, but only so far. Do we welcome people into that authentic experience to to and live it out and and, and be, that means being willing, right, to. Not simply explain the cultural dynamics, right, but being willing to let people experience it, mess up, <laughs> right, um, and uh, and live into other gospel necess- necessities like confession and repentance and forgiveness, right, and these things, so that so that I. Like, I do. We want others to, even as we experience them in their own cultural, ethnic, embodied identity. Do we want people to experience what it means for us to be who we are ethnically, and culturally? Right. Do, right. Um, that it's a full, full-on as much as we can welcome and embrace, but not to say, oh, you know, you gotta, you gotta be like this. To really be on the inside, but we want you to experience who we are, just as we want to experience who you are. And that's a that's a that's a journey, right? It's a walk together, it's a give and a take, right? Um, where we're always trying to figure it out. We, we're we actually and, and to the to we never arrive, right? Uh until glory. <laughs> that's, the, that's the arrival point. Till then, we're always in this pursuit. And this pursuit of, you know, welcome in, you know, um, living into that language of family means I'm willing to share in all of these things, even these cultural truths and realities. We are, we are bonded eternally.
1: Great. Any of our other panelists or folks have Q&A that they want to throw out there? If not, I've got another one. Um, Oh, go ahead. Did I hear somebody jump in there? Travis? Yeah, I just wanted to ask a, a question. Irwin, you know, from your experience, as you've seen other churches working through this paradigm, right, of devoting to the doctrine, probing the preferences, counting the cost, toasting the truth. Uh, What are some, you know, maybe values or habits uh, or um, practices of churches that you've experienced that are doing this well? Um, You know, are there there any kind of even just general postures that they have that you think has, has let them kind of move farther down the field?
2: Yeah, I mean... There are some practices. I I mean, I've I've listed some of them that come out of Colossians 3. One, gratitude is a major practice. Practicing gratitude for one another, gratitude to God, right? Um, Practicing, I mean, you know, it's tough in this COVID season, but literally eating together, table fellowship, um, is a is a major. Like I, when I did my research on diverse churches for my dissertation, um, every church I interviewed, people, food was a major part of it. Like food, eating together, table fellowship. Sharing your uh, sharing food that comes out of your you know uh, ethnic or cultural heritage, right? Um, as forming you know you know uh, and you, you know Travis right Russ would ask this was like who's at your dinner table like who's who you who are you eating with? Right. It doesn't have to be this high and mighty like we're out in the community doing great things. Yes, we might be, but it can be as simple. What does our hospitality look like? Who are we eating? Who are we inviting to dinner? How are we cultivating those kinds of engagements? Another, Another one I will say that's important is not shying away from the hard stuff. Like not glossing over the difficult stuff, finding I think churches have found a variety of ways to, um, to engage these hard topics and create the space for um, brothers and sisters to agree and disagree on these things and still be one body. An example, I'll give if we do this at uh, Grace Mosaic, that's that's why I'll give this example, because it's the most recent, our process and pray time, which is on Sunday evenings. It's now virtual. But it's always a topic that's a challenging and hard topic, uh, either in the church or in the culture. And we have a couple of people. One of our elders is the one who kind of helps coordinate it. We ask a couple of people if they would share, and um, right, we come together when we could come together. We sit in a circle. There's food and childcare. It's on a Sunday evening, and it's everything from, you know, from abortion to um, to mental health to. Uh, interracial adoption to, right, all, right, these topics. And we say, we're going to lean in. We're leaning into these. These are things that, as the people of God, we can come and express and not castigate each other, not demonize each other, right? Um, and so creating those kinds of spaces to engage the hard things, um that people are going to come from a diverse diverse perspective on and we know it and we want to fo- like we we want to help foster that um so that as a church right we'll we'll be living into this unity and diversity this depth of because it's real right Is that right the diversity of ethnicity and culture and backgrounds also brings with it a variety of perspectives on all kinds of issues right? that, uh, that we want to press into.
1: Got a question from our attendee, one of our attendees. Um, can you give examples like from your own history or life as a pastor of sort of healthy conflict and repentance forgiveness kind of in these matters?
2: Hmm yeah
1: I um, I mentioned
2: yesterday that um, um, one of the things that when we planted our church and pastored it the, the diversity that came was the majority of the black people were uh, second generation West African um, immigrants, um, from mostly from Ghana. Uh, some Nigeria and Togo, right? And um, so I did. I had to do some learning here, and these were these were younger folks, right? Um, and so there was uh, always a um, well, not always. Lots of weddings in these years as folks were getting married and stuff, right? And there's the the cultural. I had I didn't do one. Where there wasn't any discord between the couple that I'm counseling and and uh, pastoring uh, on to their wedding and their parents in this process, um, I had one. That, the one that was the most stark was uh, a young man who's uh, from Nigeria and is. Uh, his fiance was from togo and uh, and his parent and her parents um, kept trying to stall and when he asked for a blessing and said ultimately said they didn't want her to marry him um, and it was because they you know they Checked with some of the people back home, there was this mix of like you know Christianity and more um, voodoo type of religious syncretism, and they and they were predict they were project or predicting bad things if she uh, if she married him. I had no like I had no quote unquote biblical reason to say to this couple. You should not get married. Um, uh, It was the the week of the wedding. And her father called me and implored me not to do the wedding. (laughs) Um, I did the wedding. And uh, none of her family showed up except for her brother. Um, so, this is a long story, but here's the thing. Uh, over the course of time, continuing to stay in this, cu- in this couple's life, counseling them, continuing to, to help him uh, as a husband honor his in-laws, right, respect and honor his in-laws. Um, uh, they eventually embraced him. And there was a, you know, uh, I have a picture I could show you when my wife and I went to the traditional wedding that they did. Ended up being a huge celebration, you know, Togolese culture, Nigerian culture coming together. Right. Um, And it was right. It was for me a learning experience how to help them navigate that discord in a way that's faithful to 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 the Lord seeing the difference in their cultural dynamics that says, well, this culture, this is not really, we can't say this is of the Lord, right? And so you, you want to honor your parents, but we, you know, we can't say that this is godly and right. Right. Um, and so anyway, right. Th- th- all kind, there's murky waters, examples um, like that. Uh, I, I, yeah. Let's, let's move on. I was going to give another one, but we're, running <laughs> oh,
1: Another question from uh, attendees um, so this person is saying um, that they themselves are a person of color um, mm. and they're in their workspace they're entering into predominantly white workspaces where they're experiencing some white fragility pushback, um, and they're just wondering about humble and effective ways to um, confront what they see as, as racism um, or white fragility in the workplace.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would ask a couple of questions of this person, of the, the the person asking the question, like if, well, maybe I'll make the assumption that it's in the workplace. And so you're not necessarily dealing with Christians who are going to have a I uh, claim to have a biblical um, worldview. Um, I generally take the approach uh, to not engage um, the topic of white fragility by mentioning white fragility, right. uh, because that's how you are sure to experience white fragility. right? So so I, I try to take the approach of saying, all right, how do I not? I know there's already a defensive wall that's up. How do I not add more bricks to the wall, right? How do I begin to maybe kind of chip away? And that is by seeking to ask questions seeking to understand myself, why the person has that perspective on this issue. Right? Is we, if, so what is my goal? I ask myself, what's my goal? Is my goal to just kind of win an argument, or is there more of a desire to win your heart? Right? Um, and if it is the latter, then that changes my approach. It, it means there's a humility here. I have to actually seek to honor the person, even though I might be in dis, deep disagreement with them. And I don't mean honor them by, you know, um, showering them with with uh, platitudes. I mean by saying, all right, let me, I, I need to learn some things here. I need to hear. If I'm going to engage you on these kinds of issues and get the opportunity to explain and express to you how, quote unquote, white fragility manifests itself. Um, I'm gonna ask questions about their, why they hold the positions that they hold, what their experience is that leads them to these kinds of conclusions. And then, look, um, willing we have the opportunity to, to share my experiences and find different this is part of the challenge, particularly for people of color, right? Because this is a bearing of a load that, you know, all things considered, I shouldn't have to bear, right? Um, but this is where my faith comes into play. That I'm I'm striving for Christ's likeness, because that's exactly what He did. <laughs> He, he bore a load that he did not have to bear. But it this the only way for my liberty was going to come through him bearing that load, right? On my behalf. And so there's a walking into this that says, All right, um, I'm going to make this kind of effort coming to humility to, to, to understand where you're coming from and that perspective. Um and and pray that 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 opens a door for an un, uh, an opportunity for that person or those people who I'm engaging to hear a different perspective, to come to a place uh, of uh, of understanding and learning. And and when those doors open up, I might have some suggestions that. That they can uh, engage in in terms of like, you know, reading. I I probably wouldn't give them D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, and say, read this. You know, I'd find something else, a podcast or something like that to listen to. Um, you know, uh, so anyway, that's it's a right. It's, and and at a certain point, I've just here's the thing: at a certain point, if those things are not becoming effective, and you're just finding yourself banging your head against the wall. It's all right to say, "Okay, I give. I'm not pressing any further." Especially if you see internally yourself um, experiencing more anger, bitterness, right? That you and you can't enter in with. Um, um, a perspective that is driven out of love, then, right, then, then back off, <laughs> yeah.
1: So you, with your work with the Cross-Cultural Institute, you obviously work with lots of churches across the country. Um, and what are some of the things that you've seen that have maybe gotten in the way of churches making progress in growing cross-culturally? Um, yeah, what are some of the big things to avoid? Well,
2: it, you know, it again, even that is contextual. Um, <clears throat> but the things that get in the way are an unwillingness to deal with and address the things that have become, this is what I might say. I don't want to be offensive, but I'll just say sacred cows, right? Like these things that um, we will not <laughs> be moved on this, right? And it's not about biblical fidelity, ultimately. It has become merged with, right, fidelity to the scriptures. Um, but is it a cultural expression? And <clears throat> the 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 difficulty is when that happens, you you're not gonna exp- you're not gonna you shouldn't expect change if you're doing everything the same way. <laughs> right? You sh- shouldn't expect there to be. And so and so when there's an unwillingness to identify right um, things. That are um, that are preferences and hindrances to our neighbors, right, um, that stops that hinders progress, stops progress, that stops a movement um, toward it. We get deeper and deeper entrenched. Right now today, I would say, The most challenging thing in our current climate is the political polarization, the unwillingness to deal forthrightly with our, the way our political alignments have us held captive in the church. Um, an unwillingness to wade into those waters, right? Um, uh, and so this is, you know, I mean, you know, you have people writing, writing newspaper articles about, you know, following twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen, you know, the black exodus out of evangelicalism. Right? Um, that's all. That's over the political commitments. Right. And an unwillingness to to engage those things. Right. Um, you gotta you gotta will, be willing to say, this is a messy stuff. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk through it, we're gonna press through it. Right. And I'm going to be willing as leaders, we as leaders, we're we're going to be willing to receive the darts and the arrows that are gonna come. Because they will come, right? Uh, there's no other route <laughs> when you speak into these things, so.
1: OK, uh, any other questions out there?
3: Yeah. I have a, I have a question. Um, I think I understand that a lot of what you're talking about is in the context of community. And, you know, I think that's really helpful for us as the leaders of our church that we can put into place the proper, you know, you know, uh, position our members and attendees in uh, ways that will help them to be able to live out this kind of, you know, gospel community, beautiful community. But, I'm wondering for just the typical attendee, uh, especially I'm thinking of our college students who, you know, they're around so many people and it's so easy to fall into just the comfort, the comfortable relationships and the comfort of relationships around them. And looking at, you know, the the four things that you shared in the beginning about cultivating beautiful community, the devoting, probing, counting the cost, toasting to the truth. Maybe, cause I can see how those things are super helpful for us as leaders, as we make decisions in how to lead our church, um, kind of the bigger, you know, programs and things like that. But for the individual, maybe what are some of the ways that we can bring that to just kind of our normal average everyday thinking so that in little ways we can be, we can on an individual level, posture our hearts towards wanting to live Mm -hmm. that out and not relying on some of these kind of bigger programs, bigger, you know, events Mm -hmm. type of things, but just on a daily basis, how can an individual practice? you know, some of this stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it certainly is a both and. Um, uh, That's why when I said, when I asked, when I showed the iceberg, I said like, what's your iceberg, right, individually. So I have to be able to say, to be able to do self-examination. I mean, the Bible tells me to do, examine my heart, right? Like I have to be able to do self-examination on those preferences. I have to know my own background and ethnicity and culture. What are my ghettos? What are the, What's my academic ghetto? What's my socioeconomic ghetto? What are the things that shape and form my perspectives on life, what's good and beautiful about, right? Uh, what's the good life look like? Right? I, I, I have to do that probative work. Um, personally, as well, right? I have to do that, devoting to the doctrine personally as well when I read and study the scriptures, asking the Lord to show show me more of Himself in His heart, as it relates to fellow image bearers, right? Um, and and, <clears throat> um, and one of the things, right? It's just this is a small thing. I think it's small, but personally that, that I that I find myself doing all the time. I am always asking myself the question, okay, like why am I thinking this about that person? Like what what am I? What are the judgments I'm making right now, when I am encountering this person? Right. Uh, this is a little bit lighthearted, but you know it's real for me. You know, part of part of uh, being a native New Yorker. And learning how to drive in New York is you do not develop a lot of patience on the road with other people. Right. And so you're always making judgments about the people who are not driving the way they ought to be driving. Right. Um, If they would just follow my rules or how they should conduct themselves on the road. Life would be better and I would get where I'm going uh, quite uh, faster. Right. And so, so it's just like it's a small thing. I'm, because I'm, ca- I catch myself all the time. Like, oh well, wait a second. Like I have no idea who that. Per- I have no idea what the what's going on in that person's life. <laughs> right? I have no idea. Like the the personal, um, uh, probing and inquiring of what's happening in my heart and why. I'm bringing this perspective, right? Um, so, so, so all of this applies to me individually as I interact with other people in my social groups, and you know, if, I, if you're on a campus or, or whatever the case may be, and I'm always striving to be in that kind of a learning posture as well, right? learning. From others, be, believing that I'm in the presence of royalty. <laughs> As I said, right? Hello, you're met, that I'm in the presence of someone who's deserving of dignity because they're an image bearer.
1: So we, we definitely want to, you know, uh, we extend this Q um, and A time, and you know, want to end with one more question. And then uh, take a bit of a break. We've been going for a good hour and fifteen minutes now. We'll take a short break, uh, uh, but I do want to end with this question that we got uh, from an attendee. They were asking about um, certainly in our context. You know, we have questions around um, sexual diversity, sexual identity. That sort of uh, that has been sort of uh, the new frontier for um engaging in um with people that are different than us and the question is as christians how do we engage in this topic without being people who are discriminatory um, but also firm in what we believe Mm
2: -hmm. yes in all of this i'm going to repeat this as i think i said it before there is no way to to pursue this kind of life and love without offending people. When my sense of my core identity is in anything outside of the fact that I'm an image bearer renewed in Jesus Christ when something else bears the weight of that center um I'm I'm going to be offended by some aspect of gospel love <laughs> um because it's, gospel love calls me to submit to the Lord in every way so I'm put that out there, and now. But then I will say, this is it's on me to have a sense of genuine love for my neighbor, whoever my neighbor is. Right, that's an internal disposition. Right. Um, and <clears throat> not trying to do a bait and switch, not not even leading, lead trying to. Leading with humanity and not leading with um, an identity. Um, that uh, yeah, leading with giving dignity to the hum- to the human person, right? Um, and so there is going to come a place of tension, but I'm always wanna, but, but I also want to be honest. So let me give you this example. Um, this is a few years ago, I was uh, preaching down in New Orleans uh, at a friend of mine's church, and, uh, and he told me, he said, um, he said, when you come, when you preach tomorrow, you're probably going to meet um, um, Bubbles. Uh, Bubbles is uh, an African American, uh, he, he's, well, uh, biologically male but who identifies as, uh, as a woman, who dresses as a woman, identifies as a woman, right? And uh, Bubbles has been coming to our church. Um, and uh, he said, you know, I, I recently had a conversation and with Bubbles and just said, look, um, I, I can't affirm That, like, I love you, right? And I can't affirm that um, how you are identifying sexually is what God would want for you, right? And he said, I thought that was going to be it, that I was never going to see Bubbles again, right? But then he said, after a short while, Bubbles was back at church, right? Um, And this example, and, and Bubbles was there uh, that Sunday that I preached, um, is that there was something there in the experience of love, uh, an experience of the gospel and the truth, and a welcome that, um, that Bubbles kept coming. Now, I don't know what the deal is now, but, but, but that's something that, again, Right. You are going to come across people who say, if you can't affirm everything. Um, about. My identity. Uh, as LGBTQ plus. Then you're being hostile toward me. Right. Um, and we just have to acknowledge that that's a, that's something that we will have to deal with um, in um, as we seek to live and, and love our neighbors, um, our LGBTQ+ plus neighbors, um, and so, so there isn't an avoiding. So in, to do it in a way that doesn't discriminate, um, we can we can we can strive to not discriminate. But very often, when there's opportunity to speak to what God says in his word about these issues or even express the fact that that's what we believe, um, we will be perceived as discriminating. Uh, And there's almost no way that we have to be, we have to become okay with with that. Um, When it it happens, um, yes, I can ask myself and say, okay, was I doing something that was de- denying of the person's humanity and dignity, right? Or was I speaking what God's truth and, and expressing what I believe and am committed to and letting those chips fall where they may still as I have opportunity, striving for friendship?
1: Great, thanks everyone, that's really helpful. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna take um, about a five minute break, okay? So it's 321 now, 326, 327, we'll gather back together. Um, and we will take some time as renewal. Uh, so if you're, if you're not from renewal, if you're just checking in, uh, feel free, I mean, you can stay. Uh, but this is gonna be a little bit of a, a time of internally processing renewal Um, And we kind of want to use Irwin's um, iceberg metaphor, and maybe Irwin, we could even have you share that slide again for us um, so that we can be prompted. um, And we'll we'll take some time um, as a community to think through um, some of our icebergs, uh, some of those different levels in that iceberg. So uh, for now, uh, five minute break and we'll get back together 327 now. Okay, we'll see you in a few minutes. All right.